You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you'd like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. So I get to talk about talent today, which is uh, on the, um, the Life You Ordered series. Now, can I just say, I think the enemy has, um, has actually tried to block this a bit, and I just want to pray before I start. It's been actually quite difficult for me to get this message together, and even on holidays, I'm sitting there in the cabin um, still typing away at the message, so I just want to pray before we start, if that's okay. Father... I thank you so much that you're here today, Lord. Your Holy Spirit goes before what I'm about to say, Lord. Although it's my words that are going to be heard, Lord, let your spirit be felt by people, Father God. Open hearts to hear what it is that you want to say today. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever met people with so much talent it makes you ill? You know what I mean? Like, I went to school with a guy called Darren Lehman. Darren Lehman, when I was at school, he was 15 playing A grade for Gawler Central's football club and he was playing cricket for the Saka, he was playing at Central District's footy club, 15 years old, and he decided, oh, well, I'll take up footy uh, cricket instead. Went on to become an Australian cricketer and the coach of Australia. I mean, just so much talent. It's ridiculous. Shane Warne. Like, this guy played reserves footy for St Kilda Football Club, then decided, I'm going to take up cricket full-time and becomes the best bowler that you will ever see. Went from football to cricket. Erin Phillips, we all know how awesome Erin Phillips is, right? So she was an Australian basketballer, was a captain of a WNBA basketball team in America, and then she came over and became a, probably the greatest female footballer that we know of for the Crows, and unfortunately she's gone to the dark side now and is going to go play for Port, but of course she's at the end of her career, so it's OK. <laughs> but exceptional talent, unbelievable talent, sickening. This guy you probably don't know, his name's Scott Draper. He played tennis for Australia. He played Davis Cup. He won championships. He was a, a phenomenal player for Australia. And one day he decided, I don't want to play tennis anymore, so he became a professional golfer. And he won the New South Wales Open, the PGA Open. So it goes from tennis to playing golf, completely different discipline altogether. Unbelievable talent. And now we see Ash Barty's going to do the same thing. Leaves the game at, I think she's 24, top of the game, number one in the world, and she's decided that she's going to become a professional golfer. It is amazing the talent people have. All these guys have one thing in common. They have a gift that extended past what they first thought they could do, which is incredible. The problem with this kind of talent is it's based on them. It's based on the work and commitment they do. And as we've seen in many sporting fields, that it can be over like that. You could do a knee injury or anything could happen. You could lose sponsorship. I, I remember when I was younger and watching NBA back in the Magic Johnson days, there was a guy who got drafted, I think by the Mavericks back then, young guy out of college, a massive contract. He was like, this guy was going to be the best thing ever. I can't even remember his name. He did a knee and never played one game in the NBA. Amazing talent, but it can be taken from you like that. That's a worry. What if there is a talent that was given that can be built on, it can grow, it's accessible to all, which you can, and it can affect generations? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the talents that God gives us. Matthew 25, 14 to 30 is a very well-known scripture. 
And I'm going to read it to you. It's very long, so if you can just sit back and relax. Here we go. The parable of the talents. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and made five talents more. So he also who had the two talents, made two more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug it in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five more. His master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the, your master. And he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid, and went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what it is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I had not sown, and gather where I had not, not scattered seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to the one who has ten for everyone who has, sorry, everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away, and cast the worst, worthless servant into the outer darkness, into a place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's an amazing picture of us waiting for Jesus to come back and how we use what's in our hand. See, the whole of chapter 25 is about that. It's about waiting. It's what we do with our time. At the very start of 25, it talks about the ten virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. It says that five are ready and prepared with their oil and ready to go, waiting. They're alert, ready to go. And it says five weren't. They didn't take enough oil. They fell asleep. And when the bridegroom came, they missed it. They, didn't, they weren't diligent with the time they had waiting for the bridegroom to come. And then when we get to our passage, um, it says... Um, the two servants, uh, sorry, we see that two of the servants were given great responsibility while one was entrusted with a small amount. But all were given the same opportunity to do something with the gift and the talent they were given. And we've all been given a gift and a talent. We've all got that opportunity to do it just like the, the uh, virgins did. The amount entrusted to the one who got the least was still incredible. They say that a talent is probably worth a year's pay. So it's an amazing amount of money. He was given a year's pay he was entrusted with. So it wasn't that he wasn't capable of reproducing what the others had. He just had some flaws in his character that prevented him from doing well with what the master had given him. And they are things we can all fall into today. And that's really what I want to share about today, the things that we can struggle with. I truly believe that God wants us to think about these things today. This word, like I say, it's been, a, it's been a while coming out. I've had it in my head for a long time, but it's been a real struggle to get it. I really believe that God wants us to just open our hearts and have a listen to what we're talking about today, and maybe you might see some things in your life that you might need to build your faith in. So the first thing I saw is this, how he saw his master 
was how he treated his talent. The first two servants had good ability uh, to understand the spirit of the letter, uh, the master's instruction, as well as appreciate what kind of person the master was, but used the talent they had already been given to set about increasing it. However, if your opinion of the master is that he's unfair, unjust, you're never going to perform under those circumstances. Can I suggest to you this morning how you view the Father is how you will serve the Father. If you think God is someone to be feared and he is mean and grumpy God who is a hard taskmaster, then you will serve him accordingly. You will do everything out of duty rather than out of love. Let me give you an example of this. This does not paint me in a good light, but I'm going to tell you anyway. When Lockie was 10 to 14... Now, I don't want everybody thinking this is terrible, you're talking about your son, but I've already asked him if I can talk about it, so that's okay. He said, it makes you look bad, so that's fine, Dad. (laughs) But when Lockie was between the ages of sort of, I don't know, 10 to 14, he ran. He couldn't stop running. I mean, you can't stop him now, but when he was a kid, he just ran, right? So he used to do cross-country running. He was unbelievable at cross-country running, like ridiculously good. The state coach at one stage said, you've got to get this guy signed up. He's got to join the state and run for the state in cross-country. It's just ridiculous how quick he was. And he kept getting better and better and that sort of thing. And all the time I was standing on the sideline going, go, go harder, run faster, work harder, don't slow down, push through, get past... Like terrible, right? Typical dad on the sideline yelling at his son. Great bloke. But Lockie kept doing it and kept doing it. You know, when he uh, came to the state championships, I remember me and Anna were standing there, we're at Oak Bank, and he's standing in line, and he's like standing at the back. I'm thinking, why are you standing at the back? Get at the front where you need to be, because you're going to win from the front. You can't win from the back. Stand there. Anyway, he walked behind, I shouldn't say this, but he walked behind a shed that was on the side of the track, and I'm saying, Anna, what is he doing? He had to go to the toilet. He was so nervous. He stood behind the shed and had to go to the toilet. Anyway, as the race unfolded, you could see he just his heart wasn't in it. He was slower than he normally was and that sort of thing. And when he came to the end, I think he finished about 14th in the state, it was because of the pressure I put on him. His vision of what I was thinking, he was so afraid to fail for me that he forgot that he wanted to win. He, he, it was the pressure I put on him. His vision of the father was so wrong. This guy was so good at running. And now I know I am blowing his trumpet a bit here. When he started playing for Williston Football Club at the age of 14, his 3K time trial was better than any other player in any other grade. It was a record that was held then. In fact, he was so quick that Nathan Van Berlo, who was a running machine for the Crows, his 3K time trial was quicker than his when he went to the AFL camp. This guy could run, but because of the pressure I put on him, he was more afraid of failing than he was of winning. And there's the pressure, it was because of how he perceived I was. He thought I was going to be so angry with him, but I was also, I was just amazingly proud of him, but it's not the way he viewed me. If the way you view your master is skewed and wrong, that's how you're going to perform. And it builds the next thing, it builds a fear of failure. Oh, well, there we go. It builds a fear of failure. Uh, the, f- the fear of failure can work in two ways. The first way is the fear of failure can actually drive you to do more, to be the best you can possibly be. If the fear of failure, you don't want to fail, so it drives you to make you something that you're not. If you look at the life of someone like Thomas Edison, Thomas Edison, 
uh, invented everything, didn't he? We know that. But do you know that at school, his teacher said to him he was too stupid to learn anything? And Thomas Edison didn't want that to be his life. He didn't want that to be what was spoken about his life. He wanted to achieve so much. So he went on and he held more than 1,000 patents, including the phonograph, the record player, and the electric lamp. Edison is not now known as one of the most successful inventors who ever lived, and his creations changed the life of billions of people because he didn't want to fail. The fear of failure didn't sit well with him. It drove him to success. There's another guy you might not know quite so well. Does anybody know who that is? Really? James Dyson, yes, absolutely, James Dyson. So this guy, uh, you, you talk about being frustrated when you attempt things and it always fails. This guy failed 5,126 times before uh, inventing the bagless vacuum cleaner that we all know and use today. The guy has built an empire of $4.5 billion for making vacuum cleaners. 5,126 times he failed, but that fear of failure kept driving him to succeed. What an incredible thing. If he gave up every time he failed, he would not have been a successful entrepreneur, and that's amazing. So the fear of failure can drive you to success, but for most of us, what does the fear of failure do? It causes us to bury and put our head in the sand. Matt spoke last week, I'm not going to even go make a joke about it, Matt spoke last week about um, when you're so overcome with worrying about failing, you fail to do anything. You put up these barriers and hide. You put your head in the sand because you don't want people to know that you fail. The servant had one talent, was so fearful that he would make a mistake and lose the little he had been given and upset the master that he buried it away. It's like deferred pain. He thought, I'll bury this away now and I'll pay for it later. The lazy servant didn't invest time and effort into his talent and that's what made the master angry. In verse 27 it says, Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. He wasn't angry because he didn't get a return. Remember, he was unbelievably rich, this guy. He was angry because he had done nothing with what he had been given. God has given us all at least one talent. He doesn't want us just to sit on it and wait for his return. He wants us to grow it, to invest into it, to multiply it, not just for his good, but for our good also. Colossians, don't, fi- don't let fear of failing hold you back. Colossians 3, 24 says, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So the next thing that you see, the, Lord, uh, the servant, was he was resentful. Nice slide. He was resentful. Um, In verse 24, it says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathered where you'd scattered no seed. Because he he was seen as reaping where he did not sow, the servant was resentful of him, always gaining from other people's labour. I don't know if you've ever met anybody like that. When I, I know it always comes back to Holden stories or sports, but when I worked at Holden's, I had a supervisor who I felt was just like this. He did the bare minimum when the bosses weren't around. But when the bosses was around, you'd swear he'd built the car himself. He would, he would smooth up with the, the bosses. He would coerce people to do things that they didn't want to do to make him look better. He took all the reward for everything that was happening around him. And I cannot deal with people like that because I would see him and I'm thinking, oh, dude, you're just you're so fake. You're just doing this for your own good. You're not, it's not about team with you. 
One day, I remember him saying to me, your attitude sucks. And I said, my attitude reflects my leadership. Boy, did I tell him, eh? You know, the problem with that was my resentment didn't change a thing. He was still my boss. The bosses still loved him, and I was still a disgruntled worker. My attitude changed nothing. My resentfulness changed nothing. It wasn't until I changed my attitude, apologised to him, and actually did my job again, that everything changed for me at Holden's. It was a completely different place to work. Going back to the servants, it says the other two servants knew that being resentful would destroy what the master had given them, and he went about their work and the the ultimate uh, success, but not the other guy. Uh, he held on to it and lost everything. I've seen a number of people come into churches, into this church. I've seen a number of people coming into the other churches I've been a part of, and I, I'm wary of saying this. Um, but, you know, people come in, they've got char- charisma, charisma. Is that the word? Charisma. There's the word. Charisma and talent, you know, and they come in with all this uh, talent about them, and they come in and they want to push their own agenda. They want to They want to climb the ladder of a church but they don't have the character for it. They have the charisma and talent, but they don't have the character for it. And in every case, I've seen people come in and do this and go out the door not fulfilling everything that God's got for them because they're trying to work up to something that's not theirs. Never, ever chase after somebody else's talent. God gives you a talent. Use that talent. Chase after that talent that he gives you, not somebody else's, because it will never work. It never has. I've never seen it work. I've seen them come and go, and they will continue to come and go. When God gives you a talent to use, use that talent, because God's going to make it amazing. Romans 12.3 tells us this, For by grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, to not think himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given them. So as I say, never desire another talent know that God gives us talents to use where he sees fit. Desire those. That's what we need to be chasing. Think of yourself with sober judgment. Luke 6, 10 to 12 says this, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is, in, who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you the true riches? And if you've not been faithful in what is another's, who will give you that which is your own. The final thing I see is that he never, this, the lazy servant, never for one second thought that the gift was his to have. He always saw the gift as, or talent as his master's. How many of us here today have been given a gift and don't think it's for us to, to use? We sabotage the plans that God's got for us because we don't recognise the gift as ours. I am one of the greatest people for doing that my entire life. I've run away from the things of God. I've run away from the things that God wants me to do. I have a list in my back pocket. God says, hang on, I've got a list here. I've got an answer for why I can't do that. I've done it for as long as I can remember. I got asked to preach at Waker, uh, go to Wakery as a pastor, and I said to Glynn, you go, because I didn't want to do it. I was too afraid. Um, just coming up here and preaching, I, I never thought that I was capable of doing it. And, you know, a lot of the time I just couldn't be bothered. I was too comfortable with where I was, to be honest with you. But God won't listen to me, and he won't listen to you when you come up with his excuses either. When you look at the lives of people like Moses, who said, I can't speak, it's not my job, I can't do that. God gave him Aaron to get him through it. Sarah was too old to have children, 
And then she decided, well, we'll do it another way, not God's plan, which was completely wrong as well, wasn't it? She tried to have children with somebody else. And then, of course, we know that God gave her plenty. Gideon was the least of the least. He said, I can't do it, I'm too afraid, I'm not worthy. My brothers would be better at this than me. But what success he had when he actually fulfilled and listened to God's plan and went in triumph with 300 people. Jeremiah was just a kid. I'm too young, what can I do? And Jonah just didn't feel like it, did he? Nope, I'm not going to go save the people of Nineveh. I don't care if it's your plan, God. No way. Have a look what happened to him. God says, well, it is my plan and you will. <laughs> you know, when I first came to this church, just being open and vulnerable with you, when I first came to this church, I was already a pastor. I'd been preaching fortnightly and I came to this church and uh, I remember sitting listening to Joe preach and I said to Anna, I said, there is no way I would ever get on that stage and preach the good news because Joe is so talented, I would look stupid. So that was how my mindset was to being a pastor when I got here, that I would never do it because Joe was so good. Here's the thing. When God gives you a gift, it's very scary, but he always gives according to your ability, and he always gives us time to grow. I've never, ever seen anybody hear a word from God and the next day they're on stage seeing souls saved and changing lives. God helps you to grow into your ability. You're representing him. He wants you to do the best job possible. So in the opening verse of our passage, it says this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and trusted them to his property, to when he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability, and, they were, and when, then he went away. God's given us all a talent. Some are five-talent people. Some have capacity to do so much. Some are middle of the right, and then there's the one-talent people. Do not waste the one talent you've got. God has given you incredible things to do. Many of you will not know this about me, but I love music. I think without question that music is a gift from God. So when I was about, I don't know, were we married? So we were married. So about 23, I decided I'm going to learn bass guitar. So I, uh, no, I can't, I can't do it because... Lewis would get killed because of Derek's bass. I did say to Lewis, can I you know, impress everybody with my incredible ability to play bass? He said, well, you can, but Dad will kill you. So I said, all right, no, I can't. So I took up bass at the age of 23 now. I, I was pretty good. I can play Father Brown, which goes... Dum, 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 dum. That's, that is it, right? That's all I can play. I took up drums when I was at school. I can play a rock beat, and that's about it. You see, I love music, but it's clearly not my talent because I didn't have a passion for it. I didn't have a passion, to, and I wasn't diligent, you know. The problem is I had no diligence at all. At all. Um, the good news is I still get to enjoy that talent. You know, I love music. I think it's fantastic. I watch uh, Lewis today. Like, seriously, man, if I could... I've got the neck for it. I can do that. <laughs> but... Not, I'd never had the passion to, to make my gift a talent like Lewis has, like Derek has. I get to live every slap and slide they do. 
listening to Lockie and Drew play, their feels, they, well, some of your feels today were a bit rough, mate, but most of, most of the time they were pretty good. And, you know, so listening to those guys play drums, I don't have the ability because I didn't have the drive and the passion to do it. I never took my gift and made it a talent because of the passion in it, but I get to enjoy that talent. That's the beauty of talent. People get to use it and love it. I know that God has given us all a talent, no matter how, how small. We cannot allow things like bad attitudes, fear, resentment and excuses, excuses to undermine what the Father has given us. If we do, the enemy is one. If these talents that God's given you, you've buried them away in the dirt, the enemy is absolutely one. And others will not receive the gift that God has for them through you. Can the uh, band come and join me? That'd be awesome. Let me ask you this today. What's in your hand? What is in your hand? What has God given you today? What is it that you need to build your faith around today? In Romans 12, 4 to 8, it says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving, the one who teaches in teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortations, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Not all of us have the same talent, we certainly don't. God's given us all different talents. If your talent is prof- prophecy, then there might be a word that you just need to say to someone that's going to change their life. It might get them over the hump. If your gift is prophecy, make sure you go and tell someone what God said to them. It's really important. Maybe it's to serve someone. You know, serving is the easiest thing you can do. Yet it can be the hardest as well, I suppose. But if God's called you to serve someone, mow your neighbour's lawn, make someone a cake who's feeling flat, do it with everything that you've got. If generosity, be generous. And it's not even talking about finances only. It's talking about your time and your possessions. Be generous with what God's given you. It can change people's lives. If you need to build someone up, then do it. Let them know how great they are. If you're an exhorter like Glenn, let people know how great they are. And parents, can I suggest you never, ever stop telling your kids how great they are. Build them up all the time. Be an exhorter to your children. I think sometimes we have the wrong perception about gifts and talents and they're only for certain people and I've got to tell you that's not true. Every one of us today has a gift. We have something on our hand. Mother Teresa didn't wake up one morning in India in a charity that cared for people with HIV, homelessness, leprosy and poverty. No, she got the call from God as a young girl and moved to India. She became a teacher for 20 years and then her passion grew into what turned into an amazing place where she changed lives because she followed what God. She was faithful in a little and ended up being in charge of much. And I guarantee you, she was in charge of far more than she ever thought she'd be capable of. I'm not Mother Teresa by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm doing far more than I ever thought that it'd be possible because I've been faithful in a little. And God gives you more, gives you increase. Whatever you do, do it as for Christ and your talent will grow and your reach will become wider and you'll get the life you ordered because your life is found in the Father. So we're going to sing. I might just close in prayer if that's okay. Father, I thank you so much that you give us all gifts. You give us all talents, Father God. Help us to see them, Lord. 
Help us to see what it is you want us to do, Father God. Help us to grow what you've put in our hand. Help us not to bury away the talent that you've got. Father, don't let us have excuses to stop doing all that you've called us to do, Father, but let us do what it is that you want us to do. Help us to be aware of that, Father God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.